Welcome to episode 123 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we got a live one for you. Our good friend Derek Spencer of Ceaseless Fun is here to talk about, well, well really to talk about everything. Um, more on Derek's section in a moment. We also, we've got more than one segment on the show today. I'm very excited about that. Return to our best form. Uh, the artist Lin Bo, uh, who is over from China, he is behind the District 798 show at Think Tank Gallery, uh, is also the subject of Caught, which makes its debut tonight at Think Tank. You see how that works? See that little harmonious there? How there's a there's a gallery show and there's a there's a show at Think Tank. Anyway, uh, that's opening tonight. Uh, more on that in a moment. But first, oh yeah, you know what we got to do. If you know the show, you know what's coming next. We're talking about the Patreon and we've got like great news, great news. Uh, We have cleared the $500 mark. What? We are four patrons away from the 100 patrons, patrons. Dude, dude, doctor, doctor, you've got more patients. Um, uh, The caffeine is working this morning. Uh, I recommend you stay for after the end music. Um, and uh, yeah, 100 patrons. We're just four away from them. That is a big goal. Um, and like, it's not, th- that's not even about like the money there. That's just about us demonstrating support. Um, this is, this is a, to say the least, a trying time for journalism. Oh my God. Um, this week we we lost uh, the entire Gothamist network. Boop, gone in an instant because uh, their billionaire owner decided that they didn't want anyone to play with their toys anymore. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mock a billionaire because I'm crazy. Um, but um, I say that uh, because we had members of our family uh, meaning the Novacinian family, directly impacted by this. Uh, one has lost their job because uh, their job no longer exists. And another uh, has had their entire archive of work for three years disappeared in a moment. Um, why am I talking to you about this in the context of our Patreon? Well, two things. One, if any of those folks, if any of the journalists you know who, uh, who are impacted by this, put out their own tip jars or Patreons, please, please, please think about reaching in and giving directly to them, all right? Um, the, the, this is a largely thankless profession. Um, the only people who do real well are the talking heads on television. Uh, they do amazingly well. And, uh, well, you know, you can probably guess what I think about them. Um, just in, in the general sense. Those who are on the front lines of this, who are just writing all the, the, the random content and going to shows and covering obscure artistic movements that are beneath the uh, notice of national publications, uh, except for when they you know, are like, oh, look at this oddity. It's the time of year we talk about this oddity. Let's get someone to talk about it. Um, aside from that, 
Um, it's just us out here. So if any of those folks, uh, if they want to step up, we'll definitely uh, promote out on the show in terms of like the people in our, our immediate network. And uh, just, you know, um, we're, we're going to do what we can here to try and make this something more like a, a business-ish. Um, we're, there's so much stuff going on, uh, and we've, we've got to channel those resources, uh, into the way that they, uh, they need to go to make sure if nothing else that people aren't, aren't paying out of pocket to do this work because that's absurd. Um, but how do I turn something that's celebratory into like, well, here's a downer guys. Um, no, this is really great. Uh, Let's list the names of the people who have brought us to this point. Michael Davis Wilson, Teresa Piazza, Joan Stewart, Chris Faust, and a new sustaining backer. He's a visual artist and filmmaker in the San Francisco Bay Area. Bradley Smith joins sustaining backers Ross Sigworth and Lonnie Hanson. Um, so now we got three of those, and that's like the bedrock of what we're doing. So thank you, gentlemen, all. Thank you, Bradley, for joining at that level. There, there's one spot left. Um, I I I don't understand the process of having fifty dollars a month to, to get that, uh, but that's because I'm the person who's sitting here uh, begging for money on the internet. Um, we've got a six hundred dollar goal ahead of us, cash wise. Uh, but I am definitely way more excited to have a um, hundred people uh, jump in. Sorry if I sound distracting. Uh, my iMessages go to the computer and like some text message popped up and I was like, what, huh? What about these things? Um, someone talking about brunch on Sunday. Um, I should really turn that off while I'm doing the podcast. Apologies. The Patreon. How do you help? How do you help stem this tide of the the, the end of journalism, specifically arts journalism? Um, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. We use every dollar, full stop. <laughs> we just use it all. Um, and every voice that raises up. Um, if, remember, it's not just no pro. Uh, it's not just the website. It's not just the podcast. It's not just the newsletter. It's also everything immersive. And uh, as I said before, we can definitely do this full time. That's enough of that. Uh, support your journalists. G- buy subscriptions to newspapers and stuff. Pay pay for your media. Pay for your media. Pay for your media. Um, otherwise, some billionaire will decide that, mm, yeah, you don't get Stranger Things anymore because I don't like it. Uh, nope, no more Star Wars. No more Star Wars. Uh, it offended me. I'm a billionaire. I can do that. <sighs> you want to talk about oppressive regimes? I said that wrong. It's whatever. China. Um, <laughs> what a transition. Uh, a couple of nights ago, uh, I had the um, last night. Last night? A couple of nights ago. It's all a blur, everybody. This week, we'll put it that way. This week, I had the pleasure of meeting Limbo who is part of a artist's collective that is uh, doing their first show, collaboration show here in the United States. Um, Thanks to uh, the wonders of Think Tank Gallery. Um, This comes from the world of Caught, which is the new show that is there, the District 798 gallery show. This is a uh, a, definitely a unique experience uh, from what, 
Jacob Patterson of Think Tank has told me like he's been watching uh, this this build happen and he's like uh, amazed at what they're doing. I walked into Think Tank and saw they had like transformed the space. I walked in, I was like, whoa, wait a second. I mean, it's looked different before, but it it really doesn't doesn't feel like doesn't feel like the old the old stomping grounds. I'll tell you that much. Um, I mean, it's still a gallery, but you know, there's things you can do and, and they've definitely done. So this is going to be exciting. Uh, it opens tonight is their opening night. Um, and I had the chance to talk with Limbo, uh, pulled him away into the diner. Yes. Abby, the, the, uh, the think tank cat was there for a minute and then her owner took her away. Um, for those of you who know, Abby, uh, she was sweet as always. Oh, cuddly. Um, this uh, this this conversation you're about to hear, uh, Limbo is just recently in the states, um, and he's got a, he's got an interesting story to tell us. Um, so here we go, a little a little taste from that world. Two, three. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of be doing a little back and forth. I'm going to be as steady as possible. So uh, just for the record, um, could you just uh, just state your name and what title you like to go by? Uh, my name is Lin Bo, and I am an artist. All right. Uh, Lin Bo, am I getting it right? Yes, that's okay, correct. Good. I, I'm famous for butchering names. No, so. no, that's very good. Okay, excellent. Um, uh, Lin Bo, uh, you... Uh, you just came into town here in Los Angeles just a couple of days ago mm. um, uh, to to hang uh, your your new show uh, uh, here at Think Tank Gallery. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that show? Uh, firstly, yes, uh, we are. It is a group show that is uh, inspired by the work that I have been doing for the past uh, eight or so years. Uh, but mainly, uh, I am most excited to be sharing my new work, brand new work here in Los Angeles for the very first time. Um, it is something I'm very excited about. Um, the, the name of the show is District 7... I'm getting it wrong. So. Uh, it is District 798. 798. I yes. almost said 758. <laughs> so, um, I'm not looking at yes. it right now. We're, we're here. We just ducked into yes. we just ducked into the diner at, um, at Think Tank. So uh, sadly, the cat is not here. Uh, <laughs> those of you who know Think Tank Gallery will know the cat. She was just taken away, but we shall not be interrupting the interview. Um, why, why do this show in Los Angeles? Like, what, why, why hang this group show here? Well, uh, I am a me- member of a uh, collective, underground artist collective called uh, the Xiong Collective. And uh, we are a group of, um, some of them are dissident artists and, and it is an underground network. And uh, Think Tank Gallery and uh, has had reached out to us or rather through underground channels we are able to reach out to think tank and form a partnership with uh, artists here in the united states with artists in beijing and um, they are 
building art that is inspired by our movement. So it is a way of kind of cultural exchange between the two countries. Well, what? So if if it's an exchange, why why are you here? And couldn't couldn't you have just stayed underground? Um, You. Because if memory serves, right. you're the you're the only member of the group to be named. Yes, yes, that's correct. Uh, yes, yeah. my art is uh, was was this. I was the only member of the Xion Collective to have been uh, incarcerated for for two years in in Beijing, and so it has become very difficult for me to practice my own art the way I can. And uh, Jacob Patterson at Think Tank has been generous enough to give me a venue to uh, premiere my new work, which uh, is very exciting and political in, at the same time, which is uh, very dangerous now in Beijing for me to practice. So, for for those who don't who don't understand why. Is it dangerous? I mean, I think we we have a sense here in the United States. Um, you know, some of us can remember Tiananmen Square, uh, which is still something that can't be spoken about yes. in China. Yes. Um, but we we see. I mean, so much of so many. The very phone I'm recording this on was made in China. The relationship between our two countries is is probably as best as it's ever been in the history of the world in so many ways. So, what? Well, why? Why is it dangerous for you to make art? Well, that is correct. Uh, there is a lot of connection between the United States and China today, but still, uh, in the United States, we know about artists like uh, Ai Weiwei, uh, political dissident artists that have been incarcerated for being outspoken about the government. But there are many, many hundreds of people who you have not heard about. And these are the people that the government finds very dangerous. And uh, I hope to be able to expose the government uh, and share my experiences, which uh, I am unable to because I have been censored in my own country. What what kind of stuff gets censored? What What do they not want people to talk about? Well, in particular, I have a memoir that I wrote, and this is separate from my art, but I also have an, a memoir that I wrote, and this I needed to smuggle uh, <laughs> page by page uh, through underground channels, through friends and other colleagues within the collective, smuggling them to here. And finally, uh, they are in one place safely uh, with a publisher to be named. Uh, but this uh, memoir, I have also come to the United States to come and oversee the publication of my new memoir, which uh, has lots of details uh, that I will be also reading um, some sections from, from the book uh, on Friday night. Because it's, it's not just a gallery show but there's there's an event going to be yes yeah. that's correct it's not just a, a it is a new conceptual art piece as well that is what i'm most excited about but uh there will also be some elements of my um some uh, section where i will be reading portions from my new book all right 
Well, Limbo, I'm looking forward to seeing on I'll Be There on Friday night. Uh, so uh, this, this is going to go out Friday morning. So hopefully all of you who are listening, like, we'll, we'll find out what this is all about it's together. It's really, I'm, there is a lot I'm not telling, but that would, yeah, be, yeah. <laughs> yes, would be ruining the fun. So yeah. I, it, it is very exciting. Trust me. <laughs> I, I can't say much more than that, but um, uh, I, I would just leave it at that. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll find out tonight um those of you who are listening on friday uh so yeah limbo thank you for thank you for taking this journey and uh and coming here thank you so much noah if your curiosity was piqued the way my curiosity was piqued you can find out what is going on with that show and with limbo at think tank gallery in los angeles starting tonight that being november 3rd 2017 we're still alive folks still alive uh and uh, i'll be there i'll be there tonight so um we can we can trade notes if nothing else um maybe i'll see you at that show oh do i end the show now is that how that works is it just over no it's not over it's not do where are you going where are you going do not leave don't leave because derek spencer's coming up next uh derek is derek's one of my favorite people to talk to uh he doesn't know this Maybe he does. I don't know. I know he's listening to at least this part to see like how I set it up. So hi, I know you're listening. Um, Derek is the artistic director of Ceaseless Fun, who are the people who did uh, two shows that I really enjoyed uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, Grandpa Johnson's is Dead, which was sort of a theatrical jukebox done at this uh, now defunct bar in Hollywood called Grandpa Johnson's. Uh, which I think, I can't remember. We, we recorded this over a month ago. I think we talked a little bit about Grandpa Johnson's. I'll leave it at, 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 for that. If not, tell me. and Be like, what was that show like? And I'll tell you. Just corner me randomly. Find me in like a Vons or a Whole Foods or, or a Gelson's and just, like, I hang out in supermarkets. And just, um, uh, just say like, what was that show like? And uh, I'll tell you. You don't even have to like name a show. I'll just tell you a random show, what it's like. I enjoy speaking with Derek. Um... <laughs> So much so that uh, when we were forming Leia, the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists, yeah, well, that's the thing. We're doing it. Don't don't think we're busy people. Um, but we know we really are. We've got a meeting with the city next week. Um, so we're working on that. And when I was founding it, I said, Derek, uh, you like to keep me in check. So why don't you join? Uh, he's a member of the founding circle there. Um, he does perform that function very well. Uh, our favorite thing to, uh, debate is uh, how much shows should cost. Um, it's like, this is like a book report on my friends. Um, I value Derek's viewpoint because we don't always agree, but we have lots of common ground. And those are my favorite types of people to have in a world, um, because, uh, they help you expand how you're looking at things and they keep you from, uh, going off into little tiny echo chambers of your own brain. So, um, this is a lively discussion between Derek and myself. Ceaseless Fun is gearing up for their next production. They just recently announced that they're having auditions for that work. Uh, you can find those listings, uh, in everything immersive we'll also put it up in the show notes for this episode which we will get out asap um and yeah um i hope you enjoy this uh i know i enjoyed recording it and i'll see you afterward
sitting across from Derek Spencer, who is the ringleader of Ceaseless Fun here in Los Angeles. Hey, Derek. Hey, Noah. How's it going? He's also, um, I should make a note of this, uh, Derek's also uh, part of the what we call the founding committee over at Leia, uh, the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists. So we're working on that together. So yep. sort of a full disclosure uh, version of things. Um, and we're just... Um, I've been meaning to have Derek on the show for a while, and like he's gearing up for a work like in the fall, uh, not the fall, later, like, late, winter, later, winter, winter, in the yeah. winter, in the winter. But so, the, but this is not going to be one of those like, oh, what's the show coming up? This mm-hmm. is just going to be like a, a, a yabbery sort of early Sunday morning. Well, now it's afternoon, but like you spend about an hour <laughs> talking <laughs> beforehand. A little debrief, yeah, yeah, debrief on some shows. But um, yeah, listen, we're just we're just going to talk about. I mean, Derek and I talk about a lot of things uh, offline all the time. You know about like value proposition on shows is something we probably definitely, get into. Um, you know we talk about the safety stuff mm-hmm. uh, around the shows and keeping it affordable. Yeah, keeping yeah. it affordable. Um, but like, yeah, you know, just what's what's on your mind right now? And like, we'll just we'll, well, this is a classic no pro. What do you, what have you been thinking about? What's been on your mind? With, what have I been thinking leaks? about with yeah. immersive? Yeah, ooh, that's a big question. That's a that's a well, wide well, question. Well, you know what? Let's let's zero in. Okay. Like, who the Freak are you? So people, people don't know because not everyone has got a chance to see uh, why I want to fuck wrong. Definitely, we've only done short run yeah. uh, productions, yeah. so that's really fair. Yeah. Um, Ceases Fun yep. is an immersive theater company slash zine producer. I don't know if that's uh, been made clear to you before, but we do put out zines as yes. well. It's a, a thing we've done. I haven't read the zines. I will admit it's okay. You've um, never given me one. So. I, well, you know, uh, <laughs> the first one was actually free. The first thing we did was like a. Uh, we don't put our names on it. We don't put anything on it. We just want to. This is in Chicago. We just like distribute it at random. Like leave it on public transit. Put it in like a Walgreens waiting area. That was the first one. So good luck into your hands on a copy of that. <laughs> you have to go like walk around Chicago maybe. Um, I'll have to give you. I'll, I'll have to see if I can dig out a copy of Tasty Beverage for you, which is the scene <laughs> I made. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Or, well, you had a very short, small, small run. It's yeah, incredibly small. I still have a bunch of the second copy left though, because those were actually we were. Uh, we did like a release show for them and they were on sale online for a second. I think we're at the point where we can start giving them away for free now because uh, I'm no longer really trying to push them. But yeah, so that's what Ceaseless Fun is. That's how Vice is. started? Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't? No. no Vice started, I mean, it was a little more glossy. They had a lot of advertising, but it was, yeah. just, it was just distributed in like skateboard shops and comic mm. books. I remember like in the late 90s, walking into my comic book store and seeing like a... a, a Calf high stack, mm-hmm. something called Vice, and then you opened it up, and it was like lots of pictures of like heroin chic New Yorkers mm-hmm. naked uh, and skateboards <laughs> and 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 you know you know graffiti. Well, maybe in twenty years I'll get to fire all my writers as well. Yeah, nice. you know, get a billion dollars from <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. Pretty good. Yeah. So, um, what was I saying? What's useless fun is so the oh. zine's one side of it. Yeah, the zine's one side of it. It's it's slowly becoming not a side of it at all. Uh, slash, I don't know if we'll do another zine, but that's definitely where it got started as like a concept. So useless fun as like a concept that we we're putting out. Actually, that's even false. We started uh, the word the word <laughs> liar, fun started a uh, as a music project. I just okay. I, I in putting out some music, I just loved the phrase "ceaseless fun," and yeah. for a while, it was my catch-all yeah. for a bunch of different projects I was working on. Yeah. The music project was actually Derek of the Ceaseless Fun, and then I just loved the name so much that I named the first zine "Ceaseless Fun." Yeah. Uh, don't look up that music project, by the way. Do not look that up. Um, you guys want a SoundCloud? <laughs> Chance the Rapper didn't save you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not letting you know where that's at. Um, <laughs> But, Everybody uh, remember, Derek and the Ceaseless Fun, get your Google oh, so web you, food. Oh, you now. already got it wrong, so perfect. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, don't remind this. <laughs> um, but um, 
Yeah, I, I just love the name. I don't know why. I just like stuff. It's the a name. good name. But That's why you love the name. Like, I started yeah. building like random little side projects I was doing as that. Uh, the first time I really thought of Ceaseless Fun, I was like, oh, this is like the theater company or like the theater slash, you know, literary company that I'm I'm trying to build was when we did uh, Grandpa Johnson is Dead last mm, year, okay. which is just uh, just over a year now since that happened. Yeah. So that's really when I started conceiving of Ceaseless Fun is like, this is a codified, you know, company with a mission and with a specific aesthetic. Yeah. So I'm at the point now where not everything I'm going to do from this point forward is Ceaseless Fun. Ceaseless Fun now is this kind of specific sort of theater making slash scene making, maybe. Okay. So if that makes sense. And Grandpa Johnson's, you guys took over this bar called, it was specifically Grandpa Johnson's is dead. You took over this bar called Grandpa Johnson's, which mm-hmm. is this very strange thing. Is he even still there? It's on? closed now. So Grandpa Johnson is actually, actually dead. dead. I think we killed him. Yeah. Um, it, was this, it was this Art Deco bar right on Coenga, I think. Yeah, it's on Coenga, south of Hollywood. Like about three doors up or something from Kitchen 24, who, yeah. have, who have excellent vegetarian chili by the way oh, like if you haven't had it it's so good I was there once and I really didn't care for what I had so oh yeah no, there's, there's nothing there's nothing worth anything there except for the vegetarian mm. chili um, and uh, and I'm not even a vegetarian but like right. the two best I find the two best chilies in, in Los Angeles are both vegetarian weirdly enough um, <laughs> sidetrack but yeah um, so it was this gorgeous fake Arc Deco space just off like one of the garbagiest uh, tourist zones and yet seemed to be like a very poorly run like they didn't even have like a credit card set up okay night. so they were actually yeah. lying to you that night that's oh. actually okay so the, get the premise of where we started with this uh, yeah. me and a collaborator of mine Scarlett um, who was actually the person who like got me into doing experimental and like vaguely immersive mm-hmm. theater back in the day so a collaborator of mine um, we were at Grandpa Johnson's one night, uh, and we just, you know, uh, we're out in the town, I guess. And we, after being there a little while, kind of decided this was maybe the worst bar we'd ever been to, <laughs> at least the worst bar in LA. Uh, and I can say that now um, because they're closed, and I no longer have to like worry about them getting mad at me. After. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so, uh, and the, we were talking to the doorman about how poorly attended the bar was on a, like a Saturday night. Literally, bars on either side of it, lines out the door. Grandpa yeah. Johnson's literally dead. No yeah. one inside Grandpa Johnson's. So I was talking to the doorman for a while, and we're like, well, you know, we're artists. Why don't we, you, uh, you uh, let us use your space for free, and we'll bring some clientele your way, you know, like a little advertising. Yeah. They said, sure. Um, but the time Scarlett and I were, she was living all the way up in Santa Clarita. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, she's actually still at uh, CalArts. So what we decided to do was, like, we're looking at this as, like, a, a form of dualities, like uh, the dualities of Los Angeles and nightlife and kind of, like, good and bad. And uh, that was kind of, like, the impetus there that we decided on that night after, you know, having a few more drinks. <laughs> but what we did was we split the cast down the middle and she directed half the show. I directed half the show. Like, you know, it was all devised. I had my two actors that we were rehearsing with in downtown LA. She had two actors she was rehearsing with up in uh, Santa Clarita. And we only combined all the devised material actually, uh, I think three days, four days before the show. Oh wow. It's like we brought everyone in the same room, showed each other what we were making and just started like pairing and combining and mushing and cutting um, until we had like our menu of 30, yeah. 30 pieces. And the way that worked, uh, for those who don't know, uh, is that we had um, a menu you got at the door and then you went to the DJ booth where I was and you could order a scene 
and then we would press the sound cue that initiated that scene, and the scene would happen in the bar. Yeah, it was like it was a sort of theatrical jukebox, mm. which was really cool. And that was like the one; those were the main hinge points of any kind of interactivity. But there were some pieces where like people like walked you to the side, and you know yeah. some some stuff that happened kind of like in and all around. There were a few one on ones actually. Yeah, um, just a, a handful of them. We weren't really thinking of it as immersive theater. I think. Yeah, no, you, you know, called it happening. Yeah, we called it a happening. We didn't use the word immersive anywhere, and you know that was much more in like Scarlet style of just like found space type of theater that just happens to be interactive but yeah. i don't think she ever sets out to make interactive art but after putting the show on and like the little a bit of attention it got from like you and other people in immersive that's when i was like oh there's a whole world for this it's like literally yeah. my gateway into doing that kind of work but yeah it was the process was unlike any other show i've worked on and it was really fun to just kind of see her style of directing my style of directing where's that venn diagram mm-hmm. at and like how are these actors going to interact with each other I think we put together something that was really fun in the small amount of time yeah. we worked on that show. No, um, it, 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 it definitely, I was like, oh, this has great promise. Like, this, mm-hmm. this group of kids really could be doing something. And then you followed that up with, well, I want to fuck Ronald Reagan. Right. Which is an adaptation of some uh, J.G. Ballard material. Yeah, so... Like, we, loose adaptation? A very loose adaptation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we by the end of it, we were using the word inspired by. Yeah, Because yeah. there were, I mean... Very little, if any, of it was actual text from the book or anything. Uh, the book was at the Atrocity Exhibition, the last chapter of which is called Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it's, you know, like that's generally how I've worked on a lot of shows is like taking some source material and saying, I don't necessarily want to adapt this. It's not, I'm not trying to retell the story that's been told in the book, but this is what's inspiring me. You know, in this case, I threw a lot of other material at the actors as well, like, you know, maybe 15 other sources where I'm like, here are just these linking ideas that link up to me. Let's take a look at this together in the room and just see how these ideas flow. So, yeah, the, in this case, the characters were based on the novel. Mm-hmm. But if you've checked out the novel, you know that characters die and come back to life. There's no through our characters have different relationships with each other, depending on the chapter. It's very much like fever dreams, dream of consciousness kind of stuff. So that's really what we're trying to capture with the show. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, like the characters were only nominally based on characters in the book in that like you have a lot of leeway when looking at that kind of material to yeah. jump all over the place so and that that was an impeccable cast you put together and it was just a really intense piece and uh you guys put that up at uh, the late lamented Montserrat yeah uh, <laughs> very sad about it like, but happy you got to say goodbye to it in that yeah way. no it was a really great goodbye and and maybe even a piece that like could have like sustained itself uh in a space that like had a little bit more separation. Like I think my, my main thing was like the, the bleed over right. in the scenes were rough, but like it, again in that piece just saw so much, like every time I see you work, I see like, Oh damn. Like, like mm-hmm. we just knocked another wall down, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he keeps on steamrolling forward into something. Yeah. So like that you've been, that you've got something that you're kind of simmering for, mm-hmm. for a while now. Like gets me really excited. Right. About. Well, I, you know, I, um, I'm not making like any official announcements like show titles or anything, but it's actually looking like it's going to be a season of shows, oh, like wow. a, a season of thematically linked shows. Um, basically, uh, I had a show that I wanted to do. Um, the space for that show fell through, and I was considering other ways I could, you know, because everything I do is very site responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're devising in the space, we're, we're looking at the architecture of the space to kind of inform you know, the architecture of the show and the movement and everything. Um, so I was trying to explore different ways to do the show, came up with three ideas. And at this point, those ideas are so diverged from each other, especially since, you know, there's no script. I'm just, you know, devising with the actors. Um, that it seems like what we're going to do is three different shows that are all thematically linked. Mm. Um, and maybe some of the same source material, but very little actually overlap in source material. Okay. 
So very excited about this. And well, the first one will be definitely January. And we're looking at then May and maybe something in Fringe for the third one. Okay, cool. So Yeah. And then it's thematically and not narratively linked. There will be no narrative through line. Yeah, which makes it really easy to like, you know, onboard Mm -hmm. people. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about all the serialized stuff right now is that... Oh, no, it's like there's a danger of folks painting themselves in a corner of like, can I jump on at, mm-hmm. you know, chapter four, chapter three right. of something? And like, I mean, that's, that's hard. It's Definitely. hard. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, whereas when things are thematically linked or there's some way to catch people up, you know, mm-hmm. easily. Um, and I'm, I don't know, like as much as I like plot, like one of the things I really love about, I mean, the thing that I love about immersive is because it's visceral, mm-hmm. uh, plot is like almost not important you know it's not yeah. not important but it's almost not important it's almost it's uh, but like a fully non-narrative piece i can roll with right you know which and, is i mean you've seen my work you know that it's not very narratively focused yeah. at all i mean no. grandma, grandma johnson's had literally no through line other than the characters were the characters yeah but it was a series of vignettes involving those characters yeah. although like you, you know like that. any any given scene what mm. i like about it is like and this is the same true in like Ronald Reagan. Like any mm. given scene was consistent with itself. Yeah, it's not like a scene fell apart. Mm. And I think that's and and that speaks to the moment to moment nature of immersive, right? Mm-hmm. Like where you are and what you're doing needs to you know live by its rules. Mm-hmm. Then we move into another room, move into another space, move into another scene. The rules mm-hmm. can completely change. Right. That's fine because now this is now. This is mm-hmm. what we're doing now. And if you establish it clearly, what we're doing now, you're fine. Um, and then you can kind of like, particularly if you're working in sort of the fever dream space, mm-hmm. you can really kind of play in there. Yeah. And that's why that source material spoke so well to me. I mean, like as soon as I picked up that book, I'm like, oh, this is the exact type of like chunkable, amorphous, weird text that I love to work with. Yeah. Um, I should mention like my first, the first show I ever directed was, um, a similarly devised piece where I took, a Harmony Corinne's A Crack About the Race Rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just chunked that text out and like devised characters based on the text and, I mean, it was, um, it was actually, it was performed in proscenium, mm-hmm. but then like at a certain point, like the wall breaks and the, the, the house becomes the set basically. Um, so ever since that, I mean, there was such a positive experience and I, I thrive so much in that kind of like chunkable text, uh, like devising atmosphere that I'm always on the lookout for like text like that. So when I found the atrocity exhibition, um, like, or when I was, when I was shown it, literally my partner, uh, Morgan, uh, she got it for me for my birthday and it's like, this seems like something you might want to make a play out of. <laughs> so, and like, you're right, actually. Oh, man. Um, well, that's good. But yeah, so that, you know, that just like lends itself to that. Um, yeah, that kind of well, let's, loose. Let's, let's dig down. Let's dig down and process a little bit yeah. uh, since we're on the topic. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, like you threw atrocity expi- exhibition and maybe some other stuff at them. So mm-hmm. what, what is, what do you mean by throw stuff at them? Like you, you give them the novel and say like, mm-hmm. okay, I want you to read this. Here's like four other things like, you know. I mean, so yeah, sort of. So I'll start there. It's um, what I did in this situation is, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think there were maybe like 12 or 13 texts that I was drawing from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I late at night used my uh, scanner, my workplace and uh, scanned a bunch of parts of these texts. It wasn't the entire entire of the uh, yeah. the entirety of the atrocity exhibition, but like chunks of it. I basically made a, a 250 page PDF for my actors and said, Hey, you don't have to read all this. You don't have to read all this. Just like, here's the character I'm vaguely envisioning for you. Go through this, like literally in whatever order you want. Uh, for a few people, I, I drew their attention to like a couple passages that I mm-hmm. thought might be interesting to them, but I'm like, dig through this. Uh, whatever seems interesting to you, let's bring that out in the room. Let's talk about that in the room. 
So, and we didn't do, you know, what I, what I, the only, my, my only regret there is we didn't do more table work talking about the material. Mm. We did like table work on the fly when it was needed. Like we'd sit down and talk about something for an hour when I right. thought we needed to talk about something yeah. in the text. But it was like, here's this. Tell me what parts of this interest you. Yeah. You don't have to read it all. You can read it all. You can go dig up the book if you want to. Um, and then uh, we'll start working with it in the room. And I have some ideas that I'd bring, but I highly encourage actors, if they, if something spoke to them or if they had a way that they wanted to interpret a certain chunk of text, you know. This is interesting to me yeah. because I had, I had, it was just after Fringe, and I had like, two conversations with them in the course of a couple mm-hmm. of days with two different guys who were like, yeah, I just trying to figure out how to like start writing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said like, I told them, you know, like, don't. Just like drag out some old, like particularly they wanted to generate new material. Yeah. I was like, I was just drag out an old short story or something mm-hmm. of yours, hand it to the actors, and then like go get it in the room and start right. messing with it, and then write based on that. Mm-hmm. And then I know that you know, and and then the light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, Noah, you idiot! Like if you want to break work, this is what you got to do. And I mm-hmm. and it's it's funny because it almost sounds like what you did was basically make a course reader for your for your class. Yeah, it's basically and, what they and did. And it's a syllabus. So it's a syllabus, a course reader, and mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, you guys go go spend a couple of days looking at this stuff and then like... Let's I'll give it to them like a month in advance. Oh, month like in advance. A month in advance, like before we get into rehearsals. For those of whom I could. We uh, right. One actor didn't sign on until like two weeks before rehearsal started. Mm. So it's a little bit different. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's a very well, academic did, approach. Did you, did you talk about... Did you talk about the text with them while they were reading it then? So, like, you know, like, did you take any of that time? Or did you just, like, let them kind of, like, absorb the material at their own pace and then didn't talk until that first day? Depends on the actor. Um, yeah. So, like, uh, one actor mm-hmm. uh, was signed on to the project, I'd say, about six months before. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just conceiving of it in conversation yeah. with a couple of people, and she was one of them. Uh, and in that case, you know, we were, we'd been talking about the text for a long time before she got in the room. So for that, you know, for that person, we had a lot of ideas uh, already going in. She already knew a lot of what I thought about the text. But in other cases, for example, you know, the, the actor who came in two weeks before we started the process, um, you know, there wasn't much time to talk about it before <laughs> yeah. we were in the room looking at each other, yeah. you know. Uh, luckily, luckily in that specific situation, I mean, he, he like threw himself into that text so hard. It was, uh, this is actually great. Um, the actor I'm talking about is Dakota. Yeah. And um, he would come into rehearsal with like, he'd take the lines that we'd, we'd been working on together, but then like start writing them out for himself. But then, like, take that and, like, use it in these weird collage. It's hard to describe. He'd take, like, a lot of, like, it looked like trash off the streets. And he'd, like, make graphs and, like, weird charts out of his lines. And it's, like, kind of, like, getting it, like, didn't almost, like. part of the set? Yes. We literally. Yeah. It was so brilliant. <laughs> I didn't even ask him to do anything like this. He just yeah. came in and was like, hey, I made this because I feel like it's something my character might make. I'm like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. We, so we worked him into the set. And he actually, you know, toward the end when we were trying to find, like, what are some tidbits of text? You know, because it also is so textually grounded. What are some tidbits of like text or information that we can leave around? That yeah. became a lot of it because he had like maybe six of these strange, like amalgamated. Like one of them was made out of a plastic bag. One of them had like a photo of Reagan on it. Like all these different. One of them had like literally, I think, matches taped to it in different locations. Like he really constructed some bizarre artifacts for the show. And we had those like he would use those a lot in the show, then like give them to people or throw them around and stuff. Uh, wow. And I saw a lot of people reading them, which was really fun to see. Yeah, but that was totally spontaneous on his part. So he like really, uh, to his credit, like dove into that text in a in a really cool way. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Um, well, and there's and there's a way, and you know, I sort of flippantly said ringleader at the start, but there's mm-hmm. a way where devised work kind of is like a circus. You mm-hmm. know, it's like. 
you know, and if you know anything about Cirque Circus, you know, mm-hmm. each each performer in Cirque, they bring their own act, mm-hmm. right? And so it's why if you go if you go to like Cirque du Soleil on a night and like particularly if you hear about something like, oh, there's this um, this happened when I was working Verakai, mm-hmm. uh, and the the centerpiece was one of those net. Mm-hmm. Uh, aerialists, right? So, like, you know, imagine the silks, but like times like a gajillion, yeah. right? And so, and the guy he had had his trainer, it was his dad, had like come out mm-hmm. to like you know work on some stuff with him. And during that workout, like he took a fall and like injured himself. Mm-hmm. This was sort of the lead character, one of the two lead characters in this piece. Mm-hmm. And so they just had to cut that sequence right, right. for that character. And suddenly, the narrative arc of the show was gone yeah because the 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 expressive thing that like expressed who this character was mm-hmm. uh they they can't just plug in another performer because that performer mm-hmm. owns that act right, right and right. the way you pull that whole show together is like mm-hmm. you you schedule in the different acts and you mm-hmm. know if everyone's healthy then you can run the whole show right if you don't but that's that's this sort of collage mm-hmm. work to create a show and and in in circus, it seems like the most insane thing. It's like, mm-hmm. well, providing this like really expensive product to like hundreds of people at a time, right. and you're going to tell me that like, you know, the whole point of Cirque du Soleil is that they give me a narrative, and like if we cut, you know, if we cut a performer, mm-hmm. we cut that part of the narrative. Like it just mm-hmm. seems utterly insane to me. It's like, right. why would you ever narrativize this stuff? Mm-hmm. This is like the mirror image of that, where you're you're bringing everybody together and you're unlocking every single one of the actors ingenuity on this work and then playing the role of mm-hmm. editor and that's what makes it so much fun i mean i almost feel like less like a director a lot of the time yeah. i mean like i definitely toward the end of the process i get more director i start giving more notes and stuff yeah but early on it's like i'm just i'm here to guide i'm here to like you know edit a little bit um but it, it really does feel like unlocking is a good word there it's like finding like the specific thing that like an actor is good at and almost like working like a writer writing with them, you yeah. know what that part is. It feels more like a writer's role for half of that rehearsal process. Yeah. But I, I mean, it makes it so much fun to me just to like try to figure out what is this actor specifically good at and how do we bring that out in this character, you yeah. know? And Ronald Reagan was actually the show I've worked on where I had the most of an idea uh, of what the characters would be going into rehearsal. Cause a lot of the shows work on, it's like you're all blank slates when you walk into the door on the first day of rehearsal and it's I'm, like, this is a really nerdy uh, metaphor but I think you'll appreciate it I almost think about it like in a lot of rehearsal processes um, all my actors are like entry level like RPG characters who are, like just the basic <laughs> gear that's like, whatever they basically bring with them into the room Levels and we're going to work to like level them up you know like yeah. they're all but they're all going to like specialize in different directions this is a level one to nine season's fun adventure <laughs> the tombs of Carcosa you know <laughs> that's what it feels like you, you feel like you're guiding them along whatever path they kind of want to develop on with their character and it's like as as they start you know, devising scenes, more things become true about their character. Now we know more things about the world through the eyes of the character. You know, yeah. we kind of create this world together. It's like, change out any one of the cast members, if Ronald Reagan changed out any one of those cast members, the show would have been totally different. Because they don't just affect, you know, their own character, but they affect the vibe of the world that we're creating together. They affect the the interplay between other characters, you know. Yeah. We define a lot of the characters in the show in opposition to each other, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's, but that's to me is like the most thrilling thing. I, I would never want to be doing anything that um, like when it comes down to passion work, yeah. that is the passion work for me is like getting into a room with actors and figuring it out in that way. What's interesting about, about that form. And, and I know a lot of people are working in devised and then finding a way to scale it. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you think about something like sleep no more. You think about something like, you know, then she fell or, or the, the late limited grand paradise. Yeah. And you know, that like so many of those, so many of those roles were originated by somebody. Right. And, and, 
not just the sense of like, oh, they were the first to do it. Like we, mm-hmm. we, we they throw that term around in, in theater. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, the role of Sweeney Todd was originated by whoever the hell originated, right. Right? Right, right? Or you know, or looking at what's going on. I mean, it's sort of controversial. Like you know, a great comet uh, of mm-hmm. 1812 or whatever. Um, that show, you know, someone else originated the original role, and then mm-hmm. you know, freaking like the guy who was dating. Kat Dennings, Josh Groban, or whatever, like mm-hmm. he he played it when they went to Broadway, and then he left, and they plugged someone else in, and mm-hmm. then and that was an actor of color, and then like the the sales were flagging, and they're like, oh, we'll go get Mandy Patinkin, we'll plug him in, and there was this like, no, no, don't you do that because mm-hmm. like now you're taking a role from an actor of color, and and on a theatrical level, it's like, well, like the show's gonna gonna die if you don't put a star in, but like, yeah, the mm-hmm. optics are like terrible, but at the same time, like, you know, someone else totally different originated the role, and none of these actors have any profit participation in this mm-hmm. thing that's on Broadway, you know, like, like, whereas in this form of work, none of the, none of the performers have profit participation either. It, that that role, as much as things change in a rehearsal process, particularly going off Broadway to Broadway, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like like not knocking the workshop process as that, and how right. much work uh, an original actor does to shape it. Mm-hmm. But when you're working devised, you're really originating mm-hmm. those roles. Like yeah. you're 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 a writer. You're you know even if you're you're never like touching a keyboard mm-hmm. or you're writing things down. Oh, absolutely. Like the things that are coming yeah. out of your mouth. Like these collaborative processes. That are, show couldn't be done with other actors. I yeah. could not. There's no way. If I wanted to remount Reagan, I couldn't stick other actors in those roles. Yeah. I mean, part of that's just like mechanically, not even, not even in terms of like they couldn't play the same role. It would be a different role if someone yeah. else played it. But like mechanically, uh, like you talked about going and getting in the room and going back and writing after you've seen what happens in the workshop. We barely did that. I mean, yeah. there were. I'd say maybe like. 25, 20, maybe 20% of the scenes were like, we did something in the room and I went back and wrote it. A lot of it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that thing you're doing in the room or like that text you're using, just keep doing that. Yeah. And, you know, it was more or less for different characters, but so few times that I actually go home, write a script and give it to the actors based on what we had done. Yeah. So like there was a lot of, it was very organic. The show definitely changed over the course of its run, which was, you know, rather short. But, um, you know, I, I, I there's no way I can capture that yeah. In a script and give it to like a new actor. Yeah. You know, because there is no script. There is no that. It's yeah. like the actor is doing the thing that we decided they were going to do. Yeah. Well, and, and that's and that's where some of the challenges to like, you know, build some stuff that could be sustainable and have long runs. Right. It's like how? Because inevitably, you know, people people move on from shows. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we also know that, you know, in order for there to be... In order for this to be sustainable in the, in the large sense, there's mm-hmm. going to have to be some like stuff that sits around for a while. Yeah. Um, and 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 the the pathways that say third rail finds or the pathways that punch drunk finds mm-hmm. so far they seem to be working. Right. But there's also I know with some of those shows there's there's an issue around you know the 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 participation in in, in the spoils as mm-hmm. it were. Um, this is this may be a good segue into talking about like a thing we talk about a lot, which is like mm-hmm. keeping it affordable and like valuation on right. This stuff. Right. Right. Um, Constant question in my mind. I don't yeah. ever feel like I have answers, but I do. I feel like a lot of the time when we talk about this, it's like uh, we, we play slightly. We play, I push back. Yeah, yeah. You push back. We play mildly antagonistic. But like you just. I mean, one thing that's great is like you just saw a show. We both just saw a show this past week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was at, like the hundred dollar price point, right? Uh, which was definitely like way on the high level because because we're usually arguing about things like twenty dollars versus like forty versus sixty right. versus a hundred. Well, that hundred—that's the most I've ever paid for a show. Yeah, I'll say that straight up. I've never yeah. paid. I mean, um, even if you've been to any of the step back east, so I, so I saw Sleep No More, but I saw it on a weeknight, so it was like eighty five. Yeah, and I've not seen any. Uh, I've not seen any of the third rail stuff, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. 
It, when I was out in New York last, my, it wasn't in my budget. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope to see it. I really want to. Yeah. But no, I haven't seen. I've never. So that that's the first immersive show that I've paid that much for. Um, but anyway, it's going what you're saying. Oh no, no, yeah. no, no. I think it's, that's that's where that's where we start. So, mm-hmm. but you had a you had a positive enough experience on that one that you, you were talking beforehand. You felt like, like, oh yeah, you're not even mad about. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that that's like to provide what was provided in that show. I think you have to be charging the kind of money unless yeah. you have like significant sponsor money somewhere. Yeah. Um, but. You know, and it's not even like that. It's like a very short run, so it's not even like by paying that hundred dollars, you're even giving actors like the ability to live off of that for a while. I mean, I don't know how much the actors are getting paid on the show, yeah. But it's like there's no way that it's a sustainable model, yeah. You know, which is sort of the terrifying thing about mm-hmm. about all of this, right? Is like it it isn't a sustainable model right, like right now. Like mm-hmm. we're still in that phase where we're trying to figure out what is the sustainable model for yeah. this. Because there's a number, there's another show that's running around. Well, Completions Run Us were doing this uh, in another room and they were charging like, I think like $65 for yeah, their thing. And like th- th- that, that ratio was like nine actors to three audience mm-hmm. members. And, you know, it's hour long shows. So they can only do it like, like four or five times a night. Right. So like a really limited run. Mm-hmm. And I know without a doubt, I mean, they're paying their actors good mm-hmm. on them, but they're also producing it out of their apartment. Right. And I don't think that they're, I'd be surprised if they're breaking even. I'm going to have to try right. having the show at some point. See, that's, that's the thing is like, I would never tell anyone, because uh, I, I fully support people trying to get the money they need to put the work up that they want. I yeah. think people, you know, being able to afford that like total artistic leeway to not think about, you know, oh, well, I can't charge as much for a show. I mean, like charge what you need to charge to get the work done if that's the work you want to be doing. I personally just think a lot about um, accessibility. Yeah. And I think a lot about like, I don't want my work or immersive in general to be something that only rich people or like, only like upper middle class people can do. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, Unfortunately, for some shows, that's like how it's going to be. Like type of experience is just not going to be something you can produce for cheap. Um, but I'm always trying to think like, well, I, I don't know. There's just so many good examples. I'd say like one, maybe one of my favorite theater companies back in Chicago. I, I, I'm from Chicago originally. Um, they're now closed, which is really sad to me. But uh, Oracle um, mm. in Chicago, they were, I mean, all their shows were free. It was all pay what you can. Like donate if you can after the show. Mm. Uh, but they were also putting up like it's small house. And it's amazing. It was amazing work. It was incredible work. But like, I think what was most important it was is that it was incredible work that is, was accessible to the entire community. Now, how do they sustain themselves? Though? Well, donors. Right. I mean, they had. I, I believe. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't like. I don't know the people who were running it very well. Um, I think I'd met like one of the directors once. Um, but I know that they had. Um, you know, larger donors. Yeah. They have a membership that you can like, you can pay to have a guaranteed seat to every show or whatever. Right. And people, I mean, like I saw work by them. The first time I saw work by them, I'm like, oh, that was brilliant. I put $20 in the hand. I'm like, I would have easily paid $20 for that ticket. And I can afford to put that in there. But if you saw this show and you couldn't afford to put $20 in, it's not here, you know, yeah. you're not being barred. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that, that was just a great example. And I think it was almost like the, 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 the structure matched the content really well too, because I think some of their work, not all of it, but some of their work was very like, um, community or like working class driven like they did an adaptation of the jungle which was thought was phenomenal mm. and it had all the, like the gestural and like design elements that would have like that made it really enjoyable to me a theater person but I think that's also a show that would have been very evocative to like a lay person to like yeah. you know so it's, they did a lot of stuff like that that I just felt like was hitting all the levels of accessibility so well um, and they sustained it for six years I'm not totally sure why they closed I don't think it was a financial uh, decision. I think it was like an artistic decision, is my understanding. Well, that's good. At least but, there's that. Yeah. I mean, but there are so there are theater companies doing that kind of work, and I, I think that's something I'm always thinking about about how to 
position my own work so that it can be as accessible as possible. Yeah. With immersive, it's going to be more expensive, but I want to move well, toward that when I can. Well, and there's there's a whole thing. I mean, like when we think about immersive as a form and being accessible to people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the all the activation stuff that's on the marketing side, right? Yeah. Even though that's all that's commercial art, right? But like it's it's initiating people into into mm-hmm. the, the language of it, right? And and something like it's also putting money in the pockets of creators in, in a big yeah. way. And so like the amount of buzz around that Westworld thing or mm-hmm. like the Legion stuff, and like you know for, yeah. for patrons, you know, it was free. It was like they had to spend their time staying mm-hmm. in line, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is definitely there's value there, right? right. And I always worry about. I worry about, you know, the, oh God, I, this is what we're going to see next year at Comic-Con mm. for that stuff is that there's going to be those lines. And so what's going to turn into, it's going to turn into a bunch of people like task rabbiting people, paying them to stand in line yeah. and stuff. And then suddenly this thing that's supposed to be free is actually like it costs $100 to send someone to task rabbit. Right. And it's space. already free at a paid event, right? Like I've never been to Comic-Con, but like right. you have to pay for a pass being Comic-Con. Well, all, this, free all that stuff, once you're there. all that stuff was off, what we call offsite. Oh, okay. So like any realize. old, yeah, any old punter could... And that was the thing, like the Westworld thing was the first thing that that was an offsite that had a line for it. Mm-hmm. So in theory, you could have just gone down to San Diego and run around. And and, and the thing mm-hmm. about Comic Con, I mean, well, that's a whole other discussion. But like uh, enough happens in San Diego proper during Comic Con these days that you could theoretically go to Comic Con and like never step foot on the show floor. Interesting. And, like, and still like South by at this point. Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, and may get even only more so as mm-hmm. far as activation stuff happens. But then there's there's another flip, which is, you know, I mean, one of the things about being in the nonprofit world, one of the things that we'll be like facing and considering as we continue mm-hmm. to build layup is the relationship between your big dollar donors and where you get to go. And when I think I was just talking to people about this at the last uh, brain or the last layup meeting. Yeah, uh, this is a, a thing I'm thinking a lot about. Actually, yeah, go on. Well, and and I so I come from the nonprofit world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, those those who know this. Well, I don't talk about it too much, but like you know, I work for a nonprofit media organization right. that's like 25 years old. Mm-hmm. I see the things that we have to do, the hoops we have to go through to like you know justify our grants. Right. Um, I see the pressures that come, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of our media coverage because of those, yeah. because of those grants and the, the firewall we try and build between, you know, the, the journalistic integrity we have, mm-hmm. the, try to build the firewall we have between the journalistic integrity we have and the directives that are coming out. And, and knowing at the end of the day that the people who sign the checks, like, are, you know, if they're smart, they're looking at everything. Mm-hmm. And if they're not smart, you know, we get away with what we can. But... I also, you know, I've been in the film festival world, I've been in the arts festival world, and I know that those big dollar donors, like, they they wield a lot of influence yeah. over where you get to go. And one of the things that's been interesting about immersive as a form is because we haven't hit that phase yet mm-hmm. where there are, you know, aside from the marketing companies coming in and hiring people, there isn't mm-hmm. big money. And that means people have had a lot of artistic freedom right. and a lot of ability to chase their own muses. Even and the when, big shows are, I mean, it's more consumer-driven than donor-driven right yeah, now. So. E- exactly. Even the big shows. And and there's something to this being kind of, you know, not that, not that you know, being middle class is like mm-hmm. the pure ideal, but there's, there's something to this that I like, which is this is a community that's bootstrapping itself. Mm-hmm. And it definitely frustrates me as someone who grew up on public assistance. Like I look at something like a, a you know sixty dollar ticket mm-hmm. and go, oh god. Right. And I'm sitting in a position of privilege these days, like in mm-hmm. that I'm covering this stuff. You know, whether I'm reviewing or having people on the show, it's right. like you know, like there's, 
you know, I don't, I don't do it so I can get a free ticket, but like mm-hmm. if I wasn't getting comped, I wouldn't be able to do the depth work, right? right. Like that's right. that's the the exchange, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, there's there there can be no thoughtful coverage if you haven't seen the work. All there can be of is course. like you know someone sitting across from you like pimping their stuff, and, mm-hmm. and you going like that sounds amazing, that right. sounds wonderful, right, right, oh man, right. it's gonna be so exciting, like everyone who gets to see it, oh boy, mm-hmm. you know, like that doesn't put the conversation forward. Um, but if if we become beholden, there, there's a, there's like a point where like if the big donors come before we're ready for mm-hmm. it, suddenly I worry that it it becomes less accessible in, right. in, in in a serious way. And like I look at something like you know people getting people getting commissioned to do work, mm-hmm. but that work winds up getting commissioned and put in a place where like only you know, one percenters can go see it. And I right. think we'll see some of that next year. And mm-hmm. for those companies, it becomes like a marketing activation. And it's mm-hmm. like, hey, that's that's fine. That's good. It's good for that company. Yeah. If it becomes the only thing that's happening, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, it's not the worst problem to have with more money coming in. It's, no, it's, it's definitely it's not. It's a lot of individual creators, like, figuring out how to finagle that. And if, yeah. if a company decides, like, we're, we're not... You know the money's good enough that we're not interested in making our work publicly accessible. Like there always will be creators who want the general public to see their work. Yeah, I mean I don't. Well, I think uh, I think every I creator. Doubt that. I mean I think, I think we. You know I think I hope that every creator wants as many people to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at something like you know I look at something like Chosho, which uh, came through, and like he was giving that out for free. Mm-hmm. He's able to give that out for free because he gets paid millions of dollars for his murals. Right. And as problematic as, as David Cho is, you know, on a, on a certain level, kudos to him for making that, mm-hmm. you know, a free thing that he like gifted to right. like, whoever. Right. Yeah. As um, of, I don't actually know what Cho show, I know you're not supposed to talk about it too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Like I signed up for it. Uh, and then like, they I realized like, there was like an ARG element and I really hate that. So I didn't, uh, I didn't oh. call him back and stuff. So oh, okay. I never I never saw it or anything. I have oh. no idea what, what um, went down. I can I can I can't confirm or deny much, but I, I can say that that was just an intake call. Okay. They're, yeah. They're, I mean I just didn't really feel like dealing with it. I don't think there really wasn't I don't think there really was any energy. Well but I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel very invested. I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna call this guy back. I think I called him back once and didn't answer and I'm like, I don't really Yeah, no know. chasing chasing <laughs> this chasing the stuff. Well and that well that's a that's a whole that's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. Like there's there's a definite ARG fatigue in in the community mm-hmm. right now and and even people who i i would have thought weren't going to have arg fatigue like folks mm-hmm. who are like die hard into them yeah i'm 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 finding out that they're they're getting they're getting tired mm-hmm. um it's a lot to ask your audience to say that invest i mean for me it's like i just want to, to turn my critical engaged brain on when i go to a show mm-hmm. and i don't want to have to be ready at any moment to jump into like art consumption mode. You know, yeah. like I might just, if I'm just like chilling at home, you know, like winding down from a day, I, I get a phone call, I'll be like stressed out about it. And that I, just doesn't I, appeal to me. I do know? find it interesting that you're like, you're like, I want to go into critical dissection mode. And like, for me, mm-hmm. I can't shut that off. Yeah. So like, I, every time I go to a show, I hope that I get to the place where that faculty mm. short circuits and then I'm just, there? Oh sure, like the best yeah. shows, like particularly immersive shows, yeah. like over overwhelm your senses to the point where you're no longer able to be critical. I mean, especially yeah. I'm thinking like Apartment Eight for me was like a yeah. point where like you know I'll try to go home after every show and write down everything I can remember about the show just for like my notes, and I think it's very helpful to write everything down to be able to think about it, you know. Uh, but that was one of the shows where I'm like I forgot so many things that happened in that show because I was no longer thinking with my uh, critical breakdown 
theater mind. I was thinking with like my emotional, like almost like fight or flight mind, you know, yeah. I got my adrenaline pumping in that way. Yeah. So like, I, I totally get that. And I get like people chasing that experience. But I mean, like, if you're going to give me a phone call in the middle of the night, it's probably not going to be yeah. so immersive that I'm just like turning off my blinders. So at that point, I'm like, I want to think about this and I want to think about what you're doing here and I want to think about why you're doing it. And I don't know. It just seems stressful to me to try to like balance that with normal life stuff. So I try to avoid it when I can. Yeah. Um, no. And like, and I, I mean, famously, you know, like I, the shows have a magic ability to always call me when I'm out and doing something. Right. Right. Well, and, you're a busy guy. So, you know, well, and, and, but I think about like, you know, if I, if I wasn't a busy guy and you know, like, don't, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Like I spend at least trying to spend at least one or two hours a day. Well, I wind up spending one or two hours a day just like vegging on my phone, sure. which I hate, but I try and spend like a couple hours a day, like, you know, reading or like, yeah. you know, watching, you know, Twin Peaks or something. Good. Um, <laughs> because you can't, I don't know. Like this sort of becomes like a rant at like the audience. It's like, there's, I feel like if all it's, it, it starts to feel like emotional junk food. And if like all you're eating, mm-hmm. all you're consuming is, is this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're, you're not going to appreciate it when yeah. it comes around. And the truth is that this is, this is some rare, rare form work, right? right? Like even as we get this like fever in Los Angeles and there's like all these mm-hmm. companies coming up right now, mm-hmm. there's, they're still able to serve a very small number of people. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're probably going to hit the point in the next six months where the there's there's going to be so much going on in any given three week period of time mm-hmm. that like some folks are going to be like, look, I can't follow every show. So right. I mean, like, I think already you if you we were if there. you wanted to follow every ARG right now, that'd be a that'd be a full time job. Yeah, and I also want to be clear, like I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on like ARG stuff. I think it's incredible, like yeah. the way it engages the audience members who want that kind of constant contact. Yeah, I mean, just watching. I think um, shit was it the. It was delusion. That was why they had like posted a ten minute like pseudo documentary kind of thing, just about the whole, like wrapping up the whole experience mm-hmm. and like it was a lot of like audience um, interview kind of stuff. Yeah. And like I was watching that like so captivated, just like seeing the way that audience members invested so much. I mean, that's like well, it's probably tension because because, delu- tension? because delusion doesn't do an ARG. Oh yeah. right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, sorry, I oh yeah, them, I haven't seen, I haven't seen either. Right. Uh, but like no, seeing the way that people were so invested and seeing like that kind of like relationship they had fostered. I mean, that's incredible work. That's yeah. really cool stuff. Oh, and when you know? it works, it works. And, and you know, there, the, I mean, the piece we both saw this week was like a, a therapy and dreams uh, from nocturnal Fandango. And what I thought was what, what really worked the, the, the longitudinal stuff managed to open up a couple of scenes mm-hmm. for me in a way that without the longitudinal stuff, uh, you know, would not have would not have would not have had like the same effect. Right. But but strangely enough, you know, I I don't know. I don't. I just think that it would have played. It would have played differently. Mm-hmm. It w- wouldn't have necessarily played worse. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that it would played better. But in both of those scenes, in that. Um, I went to a place because of the longitudinal, not that it was mm-hmm. necessarily emotionally deeper, right. but I went to a, to a place that was um, really just like more, more honest. It's hard to like mm-hmm. talk about it without, I mean, the show had been done. There, there was a scene, there's like the trauma scene in, in the shed. And there's a certain point in that show where, uh, you know, they, they call, 
they call like safety inside the show, mm-hmm. uh, and suddenly like okay, we're 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 outside right. the scene. The, the it, third yeah. narrative layer opens up. There. Yeah, yeah. It, it breaks it breaks down for a moment, and I I instantly went into the mode of like you know just being caretaker mode, mm-hmm. right? You know like okay, you know so I played the scene in a way, and if I didn't know. And like one of the one of the guys I didn't know, one of the one of the other the performers, mm-hmm. like the lead, uh, Jason, I do know. If I didn't know Jason, yeah. like I would have, I would have probably just played the scene as like, oh, I don't really know what's going. That's on exactly here. what I when I was. Yeah. I played like uh, I'm just the audience member, like privy to this very bizarre conversation. Yeah, you know, like it was, and, and it was I, totally silent. And I played, and I played it like you know, like let's just let him do. Like uh-huh. it's like like he's having he's having an episode. Like mm-hmm. we we just gotta like let him do and be like you know. Try and like kind of like talk him through it, yeah. all the while knowing that it's fake. Right. But like, but behaving is like okay. How would I? What you know? I'm not even thinking about it. But like mm-hmm. you know, instantly going to the mode of like, what would I do if a, if you know if a friend was having a breakdown? Yeah, you know, go into that mode. See, it's just so interesting because yeah. you know we were talking about this earlier before we started recording, but. Um, it, like I'm a bad actor. And I'm an even worse <laughs> improver. So like the last thing I ever want to do in a show. I mean, most of the time I just would prefer to be silent in a show. But the last thing I want to do is you love uh, making La Llorona. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Um, yeah, you would. yeah. But the last thing I want to do is like try to like figure out what my character is in the scene. So if I'm going to be in an interactive mode, I'm probably just going to be like the incredulous audience member that I am in that yeah. scene, which like worked really well for some of the therapy and dream scenes. <laughs> like you know the, the kitchen one, I had a lot of fun uh, just being like confused and letting her make jokes about how confused I was the whole time. It was a yeah. blast. But like I'm never going to like be in a show and think about like what my character's role is in the show. Right. Like I'm the audience member. Oh yeah. Well, know? I mean like I don't think about it either. You know, yeah. like that's, that's actually what I like about it when it jumps. Well, there's like, at least an mode. impulse for you. Like something kicks yeah. in. I mean, you, you're, I think it seems like you've done more performance work than I have. Definitely. Um, I, I don't know how much performance work you've done, but like very little, I, like okay. little to none. Uh, <laughs> I discovered quickly that I hated that. Game, I was, so. I guess from like, I guess ten years. I was performing for ten years. Okay. I'd say. You know, I think I've acted in like four shows. Of my life. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. No, and no, and, no, and, no, a, and no. a um a terrible I shouldn't say terrible but a uh, uh, a sitcom pilot that uh, I am very ashamed of my own performance <laughs> in. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, so apparently we, the studio execs were too. No I'm kidding. <laughs> no, there were no studio execs. I promise. Um, but uh, to go back to the ARG thing, I think with with this specific example for me, the air, like the two emails that I got before the show were super important because they yeah. conveyed not being caught up at all on the the world of Have you seen Jake? Yeah, uh, I needed those emails to initiate exactly. Yeah, you know, there were there were activation points for things that were going to come up in the show. Yeah, and that was really helpful. And as much as I have been saying like I don't know how much I like ARG stuff in my life, I definitely like a little bit of me hoped after seeing Therapy and Dreams I would get another email. You know, because it almost mm. like. I know it's disruptive to me in all these ways, but there's you call it junk food, and it kind of yeah. is like I mean, you get a rush. It's like an, uh, it's like literally an adrenaline type of thing. Yeah. You know, it's like a well, and there's a, and there's a way there's a way when there's a glut of it, it's junk food. But when it's when it's portioned out mm-hmm. in thoughtful ways, it can be it can be nourishing. Yeah, you know, um, I just worry about the impulse to like want more, want more, want more. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that I think is. That I think is 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 the pathway that leads to production troubles. It leads mm-hmm. to it leads to the audience getting ahead of the work, sure. you know. And and that's something that we've seen before in ARGs. Like mm-hmm. if anyone studies ARG form, you go back to like, you know, the Ur ARG, which was Cloudmakers, mm-hmm. which was AKA the Beast, which is the promotional thing they did for AI. Yeah, this, it's 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 dogma on the show you know they planned out they thought they had six months worth of content planned mm-hmm. out when they launched that and the audience solved it in a day oh, and then shit. the makers spent the rest of the time they were running it 
basically burning the candle at both ends, mm-hmm. trying to stay a step ahead of the audience. That sounds terrifying. I can't imagine like, like where can you create something you think will, you know, yeah. For yeah. the record, I will probably never try to run an ARG for reasons like that. It would like just straight up terrify me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and and there are parts when it's when it's tuned up like more like a role playing uh-huh. you know scenario. I think you have like a little more leeway. But there's there's something. There's going to be a happy medium found. I mean that's yeah. a, that's the other thing is like we're in this experimental mode. Like this is a tool that's been brought back out. I mm-hmm. think there's been some floundering this year. Mm-hmm. Um, now that the now that the novelty has worn off. Yeah. But I think folks will find. They'll f- we've got the best shot yet at figuring out, okay, how do we make these persistent worlds, right? right. You know, right. And, and one of the questions is like right now in the ARG form as it is at the moment, weirdly enough, mm-hmm. the, the creators are really dictating the pace. Right. Maybe in some ways to like get ahead of that problem of you know the audience members being like driving them to like insane, mm-hmm. but it does have the sort of feedback loop where like they got to make more, they got to make more, mm-hmm. and I think there's a version of it that exists where things are instanced mm-hmm. and where you know it may not always be accessible to you, but at certain points the door to Narnia as mm-hmm. it were opens up and you're able to go play in it and yeah. then like okay you know wait for the next time we'll let you know the next time the door to Narnia opens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the idea of like constantly being in that space, um, I think it's definitely difficult for, you know, lay people like, yeah. you know, and, and some people, but you know, the people who go in fully, like they get, they get a lot out of it, but mm-hmm. I think they also, they bring a lot to it and it becomes the canvas that they're playing with. And in, yeah. in, in some ways, you know, they're, they're doing a, a kind of act of, of co-creation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it reminds me a lot of, you know, my LARPing days and, you know, what we would call like downtime or blue booking. And some players wanted to play and they wanted mm-hmm. to do like lengthy, you know, lengthy journals of their characters. And they wanted to have email correspondence with sure. each other and as the game master you'd often be like okay i gotta put a limit to this because Mm -hmm. i can't track everything you do and not everyone else is going to and i gotta keep a level playing Mm -hmm. field Mm -hmm. i gotta make sure that just because you want you guys want to go off and have a side session that you don't advance five plot lines and you know you know jenny vaughn i think that's an actual person like jenny vaughn doesn't want to do that until like her character Mm -hmm. gets left behind so her experience of our game is worse because she doesn't have the time to devote to this the way you guys do Mm-hmm. And 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 that's part of being a community manager, you know. It's 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 like thinking about as we like build up Leia, you know, like making sure that everyone like has a voice who's an, you know an active participant uh, in in being a creator, um, and that it's not just the people who can show up and like have the most time to devote to like being on a committee mm-hmm. or or go to a meeting. You know, because oftentimes, particularly with all the work that everyone does, the people who have the least mm-hmm. amount of time will often be the people whose lives are most affected mm-hmm. by whatever we collectively decide to put our resources right, towards. Right. You know, like just, you know, just because a John Braver or a Justin Fix can't show up to a, a brain trust meeting, you know, doesn't mean that they shouldn't have a voice in what goes on because those are the guys who are like running teeth right into, well, that's, you know, well, that's what permitting having stuff. a structure, like a formalized structure is going to do because then you have a form to express your opinions and exactly. you don't have to be in the room. Right. Know? And that's what membership does. That's what, a, you know, yeah. formalized relationship does. Exactly. So. And that's, and that's, and that's, you know, what we're, what we're leveling up. And it was, it's, mm-hmm. it's funny because like, you know, like we had this ad hoc thing for two years, I think yeah. really, like I lose track of time and now it's just clear, you know, the right. battles, the battles are, are real. 
Absolutely. Bowser Real and Serious. Uh, we've been at this for a while, so I think we'll, it's like been like 50 minutes. Okay. Just like a full show. So cool. We could probably go. We, we, clearly, I mean, our we can com- go all day. <laughs> we go all day. Our conversation never ends. But, yeah, there's uh, a whole bunch of things we could have touched on still. So Yeah, yeah. but the, the window cool. into our little world. All right, everybody. Um, Derek, thank you for uh, coming on over this. Yeah, time. no, thanks so much. It was uh, long overdue. This was a pleasure. Once again, I want to thank Derek Spencer of Ceaseless Fun for being our guest on the show today. You can find Ceaseless Fun by following the links that we put onto the things on the internet that lead you to the places that we want you to go. Yeah. Yeah, I just did a weird non susian Dr. Seuss thing for that there. Um, hey, there's one more thing to talk about right now. And that is the the Immersive Design Summit, which is in San Francisco on January 6th. It is going to be quite the event. I'm starting to refer to it as the wedding because I feel like I'm planning a wedding and it's driving me a little batty, Um, which is probably one of the reasons why I've been such a weirdo this episode. Um, We have a couple of more speaker announcements that uh, we're probably going to be able to make, um, but not before registration opens. Well, how does that work? In fact, maybe not even before registration closes. So uh, some folks may just be getting a bonus treat. We've got dessert coming for you, everyone. Um, I look at the lineup right now that we have announced. And let me get this right, because if I mess up, I am in trouble. Colin Nightingale of Punch Drunk International. Yelena Rachitsky of Oculus. Tom Pearson of Third Rail Projects. Brent Bushnell of Two-Bit Circus. Those are the folks, the main stage speakers that we have already announced. We're talking to some other people who may join them, is highly likely, but I'm not allowed to say. Um, That group alone is freaking amazing. Um, And there's a bunch of other people who are going to be spotlighted. Those include... John Braver, Lauren Ludwig, Justin Fix, Melinda Lau, Matt Bamberg Johnson of the Speakeasy Society, just got announced yesterday, along with Jeff and Jarrett from from, uh, Scout Expedition Company. I'm not reading this from notes, I'm doing this from memory. Landon Zackheim of Overlook Film Festival just announced him the other day, uh, yesterday. Um, I'm forgetting someone and I feel terrible. Uh, but the coffee only does so much and I've burned out most of my caffeine resources. So, uh, also I've, there's a couple of people in that group who also haven't been announced yet. So I'm like trying not to say the wrong name. So if I forgot anybody that's been announced, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to like remember who is and hasn't been announced. Yes. I am doing this without proper notes. Why? Because I got to get to work in five minutes. Um, that being the case, Today is a big day. Steve Boyle of Epic Immersive, who is uh, the lead producer on this, let's be honest. Um, uh, He is putting out the email today that lets people know how registration is going to work. Uh, If all goes according to plan, we are opening registration tomorrow on Saturday the 4th. Uh, and we should be closing it uh, the following weekend. 
Um, I, be I believe our plan is to close it uh, next Friday. Why such a short window? Because we got to tell people whether or not uh, they've been offered a ticket. Um, we only have uh, 100 tickets that are going to go on sale. Uh, the ticket price, uh, it came in on the high end of what we were looking at uh, because it uh, turns out uh, putting this thing on is expensive and uh, we don't have a giant corporate sponsor backing us. However, we have uh, made a deal with the Empire that, well, no, um, we've, we've gotten a tiny, well, I don't want to say tiny, we've gotten a significant and important bit of assistance in order to offer some uh, what we're calling uh, scholarship tickets to um, to this thing. There's someone at my door right now, so please excuse me. I left that in only because uh, it explains why suddenly I sounded strange. I saw someone approaching the door. Uh, solicitors. <sighs> See, we need a podcast studio, man. Like that, then it wouldn't happen like that. I was telling you, we're going to have a few. Uh, a limited number of uh, scholarship assistant tickets available, um, the exact number of which uh, we are not announcing quite at this moment. Uh, and indeed, we were trying to like find a way. We don't want folks to not be able to come uh, because of the ticket price. Uh, we are looking to get a good mix of people in the room for this year. There's, there's only so much room in the building itself. Um, and turns out a lot of people want to go. So uh, we're very flattered by that. We know that not everyone's going to be happy. Um, yes, it's stressing us out. Uh, we want everyone to be happy. Um, and, but just remember, 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 this is an artist and producer summit. Uh, so if you're a fan of immersive, um, there'll, there'll be a time for you for this. There's going to be some events that are public facing that are going to be around the summit. But the summit itself is for people who make, produce, finance, uh, that sort of thing. Um, it's it's a it's a gathering, an industry gathering, uh, which also explains why it's going to cost what it's going to cost. Um, no, it is not going to cost like a month's rent, unless you like. Wow, if 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 this is your month's rent, like what the price is, I am jealous. Where do you live? Tell me, I want to be your roommate. Um, okay. Those are all the things in my head right now. Um, yes, again, a text went off. Welcome to my life. Was it immersive related? Of course it was. Um, what a what a stumbly way to end the show on a very, very strange framing part of this world. Um, what is there to tell you? Um, we're going around. We're doing things. We're having fun. Uh, we're doing the IDS. Check your inboxes. Um uh, just remember that uh, there's don't try and curry favors with me. <laughs> just like, what can I do to make sure that I get in? Nothing. There's nothing. There's no greasing the wheels. You know how ridiculously ethical I like to think of myself as, and I do try and hold myself to that. And so, uh, honestly, if you try and put your thumb on the scale on this one, I will probably just be like, oh, you tried. Uh, it probably does not help. It doesn't help. So please don't try and put me in an awkward position. Um, yeah, just please don't. Um, I I will tell you that we are we're we're looking at everybody who registers, and we're we're just trying to build a room that is diverse and represents a lot of points of view, represents represents a lot of different industries. 
um, and can form the core of something moving forward. Um, and we are looking at what we can do to build on the interest and create more events around both the summit itself and after, and even maybe before, well, after the summit in the cities that feed into it. So we're looking at this in a holistic manner. That's all I can say for now. Uh, but again, uh, just, you know, register, put your best foot forward. Um, and we're, we're looking at everybody equally. Okay. On that note, oh, no one else is coming to the door. Uh, no one else is texting me. Uh, this is my life now. This is your lives now. You, you're here with me. We're trapped in this room together forever. Um, is it an escape room? Maybe. Go to nopersenium.com. Read the coverage there. Go to everythingimmersive.com. Talk with folks there. Prepare yourself for even more. Thank you to the team at NoPro. Um, you make my life possible. Uh, thank you to all of our backers uh, who make the show and who make NoPro possible. Uh, big shout out as always to our sustaining backers, Ross Sigworth, Lonnie Hanson, and our new one who just came on, who is Bradley Smith. I did have to look up Bradley's name. Bradley, I will, I will memorize your name. That is one of the benefits. I will memorize it and I will get it right every time. It only, only costs a lot of money to have that happen. I mean, uh, shutting up now. Um, Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society is the man who makes the music. I'm Noah Nelson. I'm the one who makes the chaos. Nopersenium.com, blah, blah, blah. All right. Until next time, I will see you at the show. Let's try not to make a mistake, Mr. Wayne. Wait, that's not my Alfred voice. That was my Bane. Hey, gang, welcome to... <laughs> you can't just...